What up, Misfits? Welcome to the Misfit Heroes Podcast. My name is Chris, and together we are going on a journey. Now, Misfits, I'm going to preface this episode first. If you've been listening for a while, in a past episode, I mentioned that I didn't want to talk politics. It's just not my cup of tea. But also, in that same episode, I mentioned if there was something that I felt needed to be said, that I'd be glad to talk about that. 2020 was a shiner of a year. The COVID-19 pandemic, public shutdowns, and one of the nastiest, most divisive elections I think I've ever experienced in my lifetime put a pretty bad taste in my mouth about the news in general. It seemed like every news story, whether it was political or not, became an exercise in choosing your side of an issue. In the 2020 election, that fact was evidenced more so than ever. In what was deemed by politicians as the most important election of our lifetime, it really seemed like if you didn't like this side or that side, you didn't have a voice in America. As believers, we are taught to always seek God's wisdom in all situations and to be more vested in the words of the Lord than in the ways of the world. Romans 12.2 says, Be not conformed to the ways of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Many politicians use this idea to lump believers into their ideals via association. But what if you don't agree with either side? That leads me to my guest tonight. Shannon Bray ran for senator on the Libertarian platform in the state of North Carolina last year, and he'll be running again in 2022. With a political campaign run solely by himself and his wife, he was able to receive 3% of the vote and over 171,000 votes in North Carolina in general. We discuss how he did it, what he learned from his campaign, and how he plans to change North Carolina for the positive in the future. Misfits, it's time to know who you're voting for. So let me introduce you to Shannon Bray. Playing the Misfit Heroes podcast. Shannon Bray, welcome to the Misfit Heroes podcast. How are you doing tonight? Man, I am doing outstanding. Thanks for having me. Awesome. I'm glad to have you on the podcast. So, Misfits, for those of you that may recognize Shannon's name, if you were a voter in the 2020 election in North Carolina, Shannon was running for senator, and he is also running in 2022 coming up. And I wanted to have him on the podcast because I've mentioned in the past, we're not a political podcast, but if things needed to be said, then we would have some political guests on here. And I definitely think that Shannon is somebody that we need to hear from. So, Shannon, I'm going to introduce you a little bit first. Before we get into politics, you're actually a cybersecurity professional as well. I love talking to people in the technology field. So can you tell us a little bit about what you've done in the past with cybersecurity? Yeah, absolutely. So I first started my uh, IT career in, in 97. I started as a programmer working in the Microsoft stack. And I kind of excelled throughout the various products and uh, information technologies that they had. I became a Microsoft Certified Master, Microsoft Certified Solutions Master. When there's only a hundred of us in the world, and I'm one of seven of us in the United States. So I kind of got to the top of my field and Microsoft started talking about removing that as a non-premise product. And so then I started exploring other ideas on, you know, where I could take my skill set. I decided to focus on a master's degree in cybersecurity. So then I ended up going to University of Delaware and getting a, a master's degree in cybersecurity. Prior to that, I was still working in the field. I've been working in the field for over 10 years. But after I graduated, I went to work specifically for the DOD as a cybersecurity analyst up until I decided to start running for 
politics on the libertarian platform. Now, one of the things that you are campaigning for is cybersecurity in general and having more of that in our government. What particular systems and infrastructure are you looking for them to secure? Really all of it from our internal aspects. And unfortunately, as a person who has a classified clearance of a high nature, all of my information was actually stolen in a hack a couple years ago by the Chinese. So our government systems aren't up to par. Every nook and cranny of every person that has a top secret clearance has been compromised by the Chinese government. Now, it was millions of accounts. So have they actually seen mine? I have no idea. But they know everyone who has a high clearance in everything about them, including everything they've ever done, where they live, who their family members are, everything. That kind of compromise, it came from our federal government who already had proper guidance. So when we have leaks like that, when I can't trust the federal government to take care of my information, can the American people trust the American government to take care of their information? We need somebody with a cybersecurity background to understand and make proper rules to protect us. I'm more on the personal liberty and owning our own data from those perspectives. Awesome. So going from the Department of Defense to the Senate, what made you want to do that? And why did you sort of head towards politics in general? I never wanted to be in politics. I'm not a fan of politicians. I think they're all liars and don't necessarily look out for the best interests for the rest of us. But even feeling that, I didn't really ever want to be in politics. But there I was working for DOD, and it was during the Trump administration, I got furloughed. I got furloughed the first time for a couple of weeks. And furlough, for those of you who may not understand, is a period of time where you just don't get paid. You can work if you want, but you're not going to get paid for it. So for the DOD, as a cybersecurity analyst, you get furloughed, you don't want to stop working. We have national threats coming from all over the world. And our job is to help identify and protect the country from this. When you get furloughed, the first people who get furloughed are the contractors who are typically the more relevant people of the bunch. So when you let them off, you leave the country vulnerable. Now, that was the first time. The second time was for months. My family was without a job. I'm sitting here wondering when I'm going to get to go back to work because the government shut down because there was such a hard stance on funding for the wall. So what happened at the same time was that we had a local congressman pass away after he was elected. I decided to, hey, you know what? I've got nothing else going on. I'm going to go ahead and run for office. I started as a libertarian candidate, went through a libertarian primary, lost but saw the value in politics for the first time in my life. All of a sudden, I was going from computer nerd to someone who's running for office. And now people actually cared about what I thought and talked about. And so then I realized that this is my perfect time to work on our cybersecurity efforts and some of the positions that we've taken on our veterans. It's something that I kind of found that I enjoy it doesn't even matter if I win, lose, or draw. It's given 
someone a platform to discuss the the issues that that plague us. We're currently going through cybersecurity issues now. Solar winds just hacked Microsoft. Most people don't even know this, but Microsoft was down all day Monday because of that solar winds attack. So it's important. Our our lawmakers have no idea what just happened. We need to have people, whether it's me or someone else, but we need to have people who understand cybersecurity, who can make proper laws to protect us, but yet not also expose us. We're losing our digital privacy. I definitely agree with you what you were talking about, the average person not knowing it. And actually, from what I've seen, it seems like Congress doesn't really know a whole lot about it either. I'm not sure if you saw the congressional interviews with Facebook and with oh, Mark yes, Zuckerberg. Yes, I did. But- <laughs> <laughs> it was literally, it was like the blind leading the blind. I mean, they you could tell that nobody that was asking any of these questions had a clue of what they were actually asking. It was kind of amazing. Even this guy in the room didn't know what he was talking about besides Mark, so... Yeah, it it amazes me. A lot of the average public doesn't understand that. I think that's a new aspect in politics in particular. People aren't sort of cognizant of, and I definitely think that that's something that needs to be addressed in the legal and lawmaking field for sure. I want to talk a little bit about your run in the candidacy for senator. You ran in 2020 and you're planning on running again in 2022. In 2020, I was reading that you received 3% of the vote and you were just telling me beforehand that it was your and your wife primarily running your campaign, which really kind of blows my mind a little bit. But let's talk about 2020. How do you think the campaign went? And can you explain the process and sort of what it took to get you through the campaign and to the campaign? Yeah, that's an excellent question. I saw the inwards of Washington from my humble abode here in Apex, North Carolina. So we started Right. And there was 20 of us. And, you know, the Democrats go after the Democrats. The Republicans go after the Republicans. Tillis beat down the Republicans as they typically do because they're the ones that are ceding the power. You see the Democrats fighting it out. And, you know, when you look at the news articles, I'm included in that because they're just assuming that everyone's either Republican or Democrat. But the beautiful thing is now there is no confusion in my mind. Wasn't going to win. Nor was it really my goal. As you said, my campaign party was pretty much myself and my wife. Didn't ask for money. Didn't ask for anything. In fact, I only spent $400 on the entire campaign. Minus the $1,750 or whatever it is for applying for the, the Senate race. But I launched a couple Facebook ads. Didn't like the response. Facebook wasn't a good option because a lot of the people who I was communicating with and I was connecting with were getting blocked. I don't know if it was for political standpoints or whatever, but then I decided that I was going to switch over to Twitter. You know, just a few months before the campaign, I switched over to Twitter, started talking to a a, a lot of like-minded libertarian souls, not necessarily libertarian parties, but you know, people who just wanted to live their lives without government intervention you know, just kind of wanted to be left alone. Those are the kind of people that I was gravitating towards or they're gravitating towards me. And ultimately, the important thing there was the difference between the Republican Party and the Democratic Party was less than 100,000 votes. And as a Libertarian Party candidate, I had 171 or something like that. So I definitely covered 
that spread. We did get a lot of votes, I think, because of the Second Amendment as well. So between the military vote, Second Amendment vote, and just plain flat out the libertarian vote of people who really care about their personal liberties and not looking for government overreach, I think when you combine all three of those, it really came out to a successful campaign. When it really comes down to it, it was just other people echoing our voices. I didn't spend any money. I was only on Twitter and I only had at the time like 500 followers. So you can't say I had a massive Twitter following. What I had was discontent people. They're upset with the Democratic Party. They're upset with the Republican Party. They're looking for a third party option. So I don't think necessarily it was because of me. I just think also it was because of the opportunity and people were fed up. And I also got a lot from first time voters saying, I've always hated politicians until you showed up. Well, there you go. (laughs) Well, (laughs) (laughs) let's talk about the Republican and Democratic Party, because, I mean, they are the two main parties that everybody knows about. And everybody's so concerned about left and right. But, you know, honestly, most people that I talk to are really right there in the middle. It's not about left or right. And it's not about this issue or that issue. It's about people coming together and sort of compromising as a whole. And one of the things that I hear about any Libertarian Party candidate is that they say, oh, well, you're throwing your vote away if you vote Libertarian or, you know, that person's just stealing votes from the other candidates. And my response to that is, isn't that kind of the point? (laughs) You know, only politicians seem to be saying that you're stealing votes from another side. I actually want to tell you about my story in regards to last year's election. So I'm going to say something something you're not going to be happy about, but I think you voted for telling <laughs> you, you beat me to it. You beat me to it. <laughs> I want to explain something right off the get go about this. Cause I want to tell you about my story. When I went to go vote last year, I'm a fairly conservative minded person, but it's just seems like for the last, the longest time over the last, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years, it seems like I've never really been proud or impressed of the candidates that we vote for. It always seems like it's the lesser of two evils. And when I went to vote last year, I went to vote for Tom Tillis, but I read the little flyer that they hand out for you when you are going to vote. And it had your name on there and I was reading over it and I was really torn. I mean, I was really, really, really torn. And I remember as I circled Tom Tillis, I had like a good 30 to 60 seconds where I sat there and was debating about whether or not to give my ballot back or ask for another one. And I ended up voting for him. And here's what happened after he won. He ended up winning. But after he won, on my birthday, December 28th, I see this headline pop up about the COVID relief bill and that his name was the top name included in the digital rights media portion of the COVID relief bill. They're calling it the Felony Streaming Act. And what it has to do with, it actually affects me as a podcast. It's a bill that relates to streaming someone else's content. For example, the news, if you want to stream a news story in your podcast, you can get in trouble and face jail time or fines for that. When Tom Tillis ran on this platform of protect your guns, protect the Second Amendment, all these conservative values, and then all of a sudden the first thing that he does is the COVID relief bill talking about digital rights media, which has nothing to do with the Second Amendment. And it really led me to be very remorseful about about who I voted for that year. And I wanted to talk to you about that because 
you know, voter remorse is a real thing. And there are some states that will allow you, if you vote early, to change your vote if something changes between the actual election day and not. North Carolina is not one of those states. Once you pull that lever, once you circle that little circle, the deal is done and it's set. And I wanted to talk to you about that. So in last year's election, it was a presidential election. You saw the presidential candidates. And then underneath that, there wasn't a whole lot of information about who you're actually voting for. So is there somewhere that people can go to get a little bit more educated? And is that something that you think people need to do is to actually do more research than just a red ticket or a blue ticket? Oh, my goodness. Yes, I do find that most people don't do research at all. Right. They have a polar. They're part of the polarization of I agree with some of what the Republicans say and less of what the Democrats say or I agree more with the Democrats say. So then they, they're all in. No matter what that party says, these people are just accepting all these policies. Most people are single issue voters, right? They don't encapsulate all of the values. They just hate like one thing. So when you have that and people think it's either left or right and they don't think they have any other options, they're going in voting all left or all right. So when they see libertarians, you know, most people are like, well, what, what, what's a libertarian? Some people confuse it with liberals, right? And think, oh, they're Democrats. And then some people think that, oh, they're just crazy, which they're not far-fetched. But, uh, but you know, by and large, I gravitate to the libertarian party to where it's just more on, you know, letting me make my decisions and not having the government make it for me. With that being said, with the left and the right side of it and the two big parties, did you get any help from the media at all? Because it seems like nowadays with the news media in general, it doesn't seem like they really try and appeal to anyone else except for those two sides. And that really creates a lot of division. Yeah. Did you have any trouble dealing with the media? Was the media likely or willing to report on you as a candidate since you weren't either a Republican or a Democrat? Nope. They didn't even reach out. They didn't care. They wouldn't even mention us on TV, right? And it's not just me. Uh, it was a four-person race, and the only people they mentioned was the Democratic and the Republican nominees. So the media was only focused on those two. Now, it wasn't until after the election that I started doing TV interviews. And then I had CBS, NBC, and some other network was all of a sudden like, oh, my God, you got you know 171,000 votes. You disrupted the election. You changed the format of DC. Now we want to talk to you. And I'm like, well, why didn't anyone want to talk to me before? One of the best things that I took away from the 2020 election is probably the five or six newscasters that I've, that I've met after the election. Because now I have people that I can say, hey, I'm going to such and such, I'm going to do this, or this is my policy. I feel like maybe now I might have some firsthand connections to maybe drive some of that. But I was left high and dry, right? I was kicked out of the debate because I didn't raise enough money, which to me is total BS. But, you know, we, we have all of those obstacles where it's a duopoly, right? It is completely controlled by the Republican or the Democratic Party. And those two are in cahoots. Now, 
you, you think that they're enemies, but when it comes to making laws and, and stuff in the election process, they weed out independents and third parties. They want to make sure it's only them. So we're in that kind of world. So it's like people like me, there was no way I was going to ask people in North Carolina to give me their hardworking money when both the Republican and the Democrat Party were raising a quarter of a billion dollars. North Carolina and Georgia, those two states, and I'm good friends with Shane. He was a libertarian candidate there for Senate. Both North Carolina and Georgia ended up in the same scenario where we're spending billions of dollars on this, where we could have spent that money on on just about anything else, like homelessness or energy or whatever. But these people are throwing so much money, the Republican and Democratic parties, to stay in power. And why would you spend that kind of money? It just doesn't make any sense to me. What I'm hearing, honestly, is it seems like a big corporate government system. It seems like you're the little guy kind of going up against this. And I can appreciate what you just said about why would you spend money on that? You know, it kind of speaks a little bit to the whole grassroots idea of political activism. And one thing that I did want to talk about, you know, as I get older, I get more and more to the point of your political affiliation and your political status and what you actually believe your belief system, it's not as important to me as your actual character. And one of the things that I hear you saying is it seems like you're the people's candidate. (laughs) Sounds like the rock or something. If you smell what the rock is cooking. But yeah, I mean, I totally understand what you're saying. I mean, for being a third party that's not one of these massive conglomerates of a Republican or a Democrat, it's kind of a big weight to bear on just one person or two people, yourself and your wife running this campaign. So I can appreciate that. Going back to the technology side of it, I wanted to talk a little bit about social media because we talk about the media and and in my mind, I'm thinking your news media, your television and things like that. But you mentioned that you got a pretty big, decent following on Twitter after the election. And- Um, I saw an NPR study. It was in 2020. It was released. It said that 45% of the interaction on Twitter was deemed to be suspect of being a bot or a manipulated account. And I wanted to ask you, you know, because there's regular social media and then there's political social media. There's two different sides of it. Did you see automation affecting your coverage and your platform at all on your social media? I mean, were you affected by any type of like smear campaigning or manipulation of your social media at all? Yeah, yeah. Um, That's a great question, by the way. Most people haven't even analyzed it that far. But yes, what I have found in social media is a lot. I've written a couple articles on how social media itself divides the country. But in this particular election, as far as Twitter is concerned, what I've seen is that my my followers would build up and then they would substantially just collapse. And that to me signifies that there's a lot of Twitter bots coming in, Twitter identifies them, and they're squashing those accounts. But inside there, When you do have your tweets and before that, you'll have a lot of bots that come in and you can tell when they're bots because they come in with like zero followers, zero messages, and they're anti whatever you're saying. And it looks like to me, it's just a tool to kind of divide people. Right. This is where you have your Russian influence, your Iranian influence, your Chinese influence, even your American influence. 
where people come in, they say something divisive, whether they believe it or not. Some people are just trollers. Social media in itself is absolutely destructive because people feel safe behind their keyboards when everything that they do behind that keyboard is recorded. So you know exactly what they're doing, where they're at, what they're saying, but then people don't actually know that all of that is being captured. Hey, you know what? Maybe we should have someone who cares about our privacy start caring about our privacy. So, you know, social media plays massive impacts, right? It It is one of the biggest contributors to depression, they say. I can link social media to gun violence, how kids feel about themselves is highly relevant. So, you know, social media itself, while extremely beneficial in some areas, are extremely toxic in others. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just like any other tool. I think it's the worst utilized tool that we have as humans these days. You can use a hammer to build a house or you can use a hammer to hit somebody over the head with it. And it seems like a lot of the issues that we have today are, are sort of ethics-based alike that. You know, let's be real. At the core of it, a firearm, its main use is to destroy, Right. But whenever you don't have a firearm, the first firearm that you want is the one that's not there. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, I know exactly what you mean. I just said, just for, just for the sake of this conversation, I was involved in the Batman shooting in Aurora, Colorado. Oh, wow. Right. And I was unarmed and he, he opened fire. Now I was in another theater, but I heard the gunfire. We all exited the, the movie theaters And that was a big deal for me. And then ever since that day, I carry all the time. Lucky for me, I have a concealed carry permit for the state of North Carolina. But if I didn't, I'd still carry because it's my right. And gosh darn it, if they want to arrest me for it, you see, I'm trying to obey. (laughs) Gosh darn it, if they want to arrest me for it, they are violating my Second Amendment. I actually, I didn't know that about, about the Aurora shooting. That's, that's crazy. You know, me personally, I've also been through a home invasion situation and, you know, people don't realize the effect that has on you traumatically, you know, and, and mentally on your, on your psyche, because it really changes the way that you think about things. And I think a lot of the people speaking in regards to the second amendment in particular, I think a lot of the people that are so adamant about taking our gun rights away and things like that. I know I'm not hundred percent sure any of those people or many of those people have been in that situation and have had that need to have that gun. Here's a fun fact. I was in a, um, a political debate in Raleigh, North Carolina, and I was amongst 10 candidates and all of them were for gun control. And then I was the lone survivor, right? And I would say, like, I know, I think that any gun law is uh, uh, unconstitutional. This lady stood up and said, who are you afraid of that you always have to carry a gun? And I referred to her in twofold. The first one is, you never know who's around you. The second was, I'm not scared of anyone. I'm a fourth degree black belt in Taekwondo. I'm a master. I'm a combat veteran for the United States Navy. I'm confident in my skills. But it's her that needs to worry about her own protection. Because the fact that she thinks that carrying a gun is evil 
means that she is now a victim. That's a horrible place to be. That's sort of an afterthought, if you think about it, you know? You definitely don't want to be on the victim side of that equation, so. No, and a gun pointed in my head to where if it, it clicked, right? If it had it not misfired, I'd be dead. So I'm not in the mode of taking guns away. Had I had a gun in both scenarios that I described, it would have given me the position of protecting myself instead of running away from the gunman. Well, I want to bring it back to the way that you think and your plans for leadership in the future, because you are running in 2022. So can we just do a a play-by-play, a blow-by-blow of what your thoughts are on particular issues? Yeah. Ideally, my biggest concern now is our Second Amendment rights. Primarily just because that's one of the the Biden things that he, he wants to accomplish. I feel okay with that just because of how the Supreme Court's laid out. Even if the Senate flipped and said, okay, we can we can dispute it. I'm okay with that. And it's also very difficult to ratify the Constitution. So that gives me solace. But there's a lot of things going on. I mean, we have a lot of wasteful spending in our country. We are a country that spends more money on other people's citizens than we do on our own. We collect money from from our citizens and we spend it elsewhere. While we have homeless veterans, you know, living or, or dying in, in our own country. But it, it it's not it's not just there. Right. We're funding foreign wars, supplying weapons, all of these things that the American people don't even understand that we're doing and we're not even taking care of ourselves. It's confusing to me how we can focus so much of our efforts externally and not internally. I'm sorry again. I think I probably derailed that, but um Did I answer your question? No, you're great. I mean, please continue. I I wanted to hear what you had to say about focusing internally. I I think I think you were onto something there. Ideally, I would like uh, you know a a country who focuses on you taking care. You know, not even our homeless vets, just our homeless in general. Every person that's pretty much sixteen and older pays taxes, right? But sixteen-year-olds aren't able to vote. That's something I'd advocate for. Or I stop taking taxes for 16-year-olds. If you pay taxes, you should have a voice in our government. So internally, we should at least allow people of working age to be able to vote. Not only that, we don't ever get to see what's in these bills before they go off. Let's talk about the last one, the 500-page one that everyone had an hour to read. What good does that do? What law is that? Focusing internally on some of our laws, right? If, if I want a COVID relief bill, I want a COVID relief bill. I'm not going to add all of these other things in there just because I think the other party wants a COVID relief bill, right? They, they, they pad stuff. One of the things I want to do is stop that. I do not think it's helpful to the American people. I think in order to be fair, and to interact with us internally, that we should be able to vote on each block of a law. All of that is just terrible practice, abusing the American people. It's a nasty practice. You know, going back to what I was talking about earlier about voting for Tillis, you know, I said all that stuff about the Felony Streaming Act that he put into the COVID relief bill. And then underneath, there was an article that I saw where it mentioned that 
what he was voting for and the voting status of it. And you saw where his donations came from. And it's kind of interesting that the first thing he puts into the COVID bill is the felony streaming act. And his donation sponsors came from a lot of the cable companies and a lot of the internet companies that would benefit from that. So I definitely see where you're coming from. You know, there's, there's that a lot dude of got like over a million dollars out of Virginia. Yeah. Do you think he cares about North Carolina? Yeah. But I didn't mean to distract you there. No, you're fine. You're fine. So, I mean, you know, now don't take this the wrong way, but as a rational thinker, as someone that's just considering the libertarian party, you know, I got to ask what makes you different than that. If I'm the average voter, what do you say to that person that says, how are you any different? What are you going to do in the future to change that? That's an excellent question. A, I don't abide to any party lines, not even the libertarian party lines. My only goal is my community. And in this state, or in this particular context, my community is my state. I don't care about Washington. I don't care about Texas. When I make my vote, or when I vote for laws, it's for the people of my state. That's what it's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be to protect some presidential agenda. So that's where I separate myself. Also, I don't care what someone else tells me. I'm tough enough to stand up to anyone. Uh, I'm a Navy diver. I'm not someone that somebody can just come punch in the chest and I fold down. You will do what's best for my state, or I will filibuster it. I mean, it is straight up. It is about the people of the state. I don't care about any of the national politics. Well, Shannon Bray, that was about the most America thing I think I've heard someone say this entire conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) I love it. I love it. So, Shannon, one of the other things I wanted to talk to you about was the legalization of cannabis. Now, over the last, you know, seven to 10 years or so, there's been a number of states that have legalized marijuana for recreational and for medical use. And I wanted to know your thoughts about that. I've heard a lot of people say, well, libertarians tend to just be Republicans that smoke pot. And I I think that's a ridiculous statement. But I wanted to hear your thoughts on the legalization of cannabis. Me personally, I believe that it does need to be legalized. But I think it needs to be just addressed because my opinion is you can't have half the states have it and half the states not have it. You know, we need to be the United States of America and sort of come together. But I wanted to hear your take on that as well. Do you think the legalization of cannabis is something that North Carolina should seek? And what are your thoughts on it? I am a pro-cannabis candidate from multiple aspects. So first of all, I believe it would give us great benefit in the state of North Carolina as a cash crop. North Carolina was well known for its tobacco crops and marijuana and tobacco pretty much grow in the same atmosphere. So that can be highly viable to the state of North Carolina. So I'm good there. Now, let's talk about cannabis use medically. So when you look at even the records out of the VA, the Veterans Administration, where cannabis is used to get people off opioids and to reduce pain and to, you know, help people sleep. I mean, it's got a huge medical response. So I am absolutely pro-cannabis. I wish that everyone who wants to use it in any sort of way that they can, can use it that way. I think it's safer than alcohol. 
And I also feel like it needs to be decriminalized. So anyone who's been arrested for marijuana charges, I think they should be released. I don't think marijuana is the enemy of the state. So by and large, I'm looking for the decriminalization and illegalization of marijuana. Well, I definitely think that we need good leadership and proactive and not reactive responses to these issues. I think from what I've heard tonight in this podcast, I think that you're definitely headed in the right direction. So with that being said, how can people get involved with your cause? How can they grow your cause? And how can they support you in the 2022 election? The best thing to do, I guess, is to connect with me on my website, uh, shannonbray.us. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter, shannonbrayNC. I'm more heavily involved on Twitter than I am Facebook. You know, I'm heavily involved in the libertarian Twitter aspects. So at Shannon Bray NC is the best way to contact me. So one of the things that I've been saying to my guests in 2021 as we end our podcast is this. What was the last goal that you completed and what's the next goal that you want to set? So my last goal was releasing my last book on cybersecurity, writing a Python for cryptography. Uh, But my next goal that I plan on completing is my PhD. So I'm a student at Missouri State of Science and Technology. So that's really where I put most of my downtime. Most people would probably think that winning the Senate would be my goal, but it's not really. My path is more trying to get people involved, trying to get people to realize that there's more out there than just a Republican and Democratic Party, and then also just trying to get involved in their communities or whatever. So, yeah, my biggest goal is becoming Dr. Shannon Bray down the road. Awesome. Well, I like to hear it. I love to hear people bettering themselves. So, Shannon, it's been a pleasure talking to you. You know, I I really appreciate you coming on and taking the time out of your schedule to sit down and, and talk to us on the podcast. Can you drop your social media one more time in case people didn't hear it? Yeah, yeah. Um, both in Facebook, which I'm not heavily on, but Twitter, which I am, is at Shannon Bray NC. You can also just find me at shannonbray.us, my website, and contact me either way. And um, I, I do try to catch up with people within a week or so. Well, Shannon, I, I really wish you the best of luck in 2022. Um, I, I, hope, I hope things work out for you. And I also wish you the best in your pursuit of your doctorate. I, I think that's awesome. It sounds as if you're very well versed in what you speak about. So it was a pleasure talking to you again, and I appreciate you coming on. I'm going to go ahead and shut this down. Misfits, have a great evening. Well, Misfits, we did it. That's our episode. I want to thank you so much for listening, and thanks again to our sponsors. If you want to support any of our sponsors, there are affiliate links on the Sponsors tab of our website at www.misfit-heroes.com. You can also find links to all of our social media there, so follow us for immediate up-to-date info about the podcast. Please, if you enjoyed this podcast and you want to help us out, do us a favor, rate and review our show on Apple Podcasts. Good or bad, just let us know. Truly Misfits, we love you. Thank you so much for listening. And until the next episode, be kind, love one another, and be a hero.